All right, well, good morning once again. Welcome to apparently the coolest place on earth to be this morning, Village Green. Um, Thank you, worship team, for all your work uh, through the week and in leading us this morning. You know, I hope that uh, nobody here takes for granted the fact that we have these teams that practice and prepare every week. And it's not just like they choose a random bunch of songs and sing them. You know, they have led us in a message this morning that we serve an unstoppable God for whom anything is possible when we place our faith and our trust in Him. They have reminded us of the message that God's love is relentless in our life. It is fierce. God pursues us with a pure, undying kind of love that this world knows nothing about. And then, as we just sung, that this love of God comes in its fullness comes in its greatest form in Christ alone. What a wonderful message we've already been spoken to this morning. Um, I hope it has encouraged your heart. Thank you, worship team, for all that you do. Um, Let's carry on together and turn into God's Word, okay? Because we're into week five of our sermon series. Week five, um, the story of my life, where we've been talking about the parables of Jesus, right? And as you've been following along, I'm sure you've rediscovered or discovered that Jesus was a master storyteller, okay? He used the power and familiarity of story to engage people's minds and their hearts um, to reveal to them a truth, a truth about God, a truth about the kingdom of God, and what it means to really live by faith. And today's parable is no different. Today's parable is about a man who had everything, and yet he missed out on what mattered most. It's a parable about wrong assumptions and missed opportunity. It's a parable about the deep, deep regret that comes from being too late on life's most important decision. And, you know, being late, well, it's not so much of a problem, is it? I mean, we're all late every now and again. Well, for some of you, every now and again is more like again and again, isn't it? Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to laugh at that. It's true. But being late isn't that bad, right? It's just being late. Well, I'll always remember when I was learning to drive um, a principle called the point of no return. Thank you, young drivers of Canada. Um, You know that point when you're approaching a green light? And you come to a point before the intersection where even if it goes yellow, you're going through. But if it goes yellow before you reach that point, you have time to safely stop. It's the point of no return, right? Um, And so you might think being late is not a big deal. But if you're late in your vehicle on the point of no return, the results can be devastating for you, for others around you. Our parable today reveals to us the devastating consequences that come from being too late on life's most important decision. So let's turn to the Bible, all right? We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, so if you've got your Bibles, or as always, if you have your smartphones, pull it up on your device, or you can follow along here on the screen. Um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, okay? And we're going to start, it's chapter 16, we're going to start at verse 19, and we'll go through in little chunks here, Okay. So, here it is. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open wounds. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
This is a parable that is obviously contrasting two very different characters, okay? The first is this rich man, splendidly clothed in purple. In case you don't know, purple was a color of um, high status, of royalty. So you would wear purple if you were in the high elite, look at me, class, right? Nobody else wore purple, okay? Um, a, gr- a gr- person of great importance, of great distinction in the community, okay? This was a guy in, who always dressed around town to the nines, right? He was always dressed up. Jesus even goes to, so far as to not only say he wore purple clothes, but he was clothed in fine linen, okay? Now, there's a little bit of humor in this because if you follow along in some of the translations from the original uh, wording, um, in translation, fine linens is, is loosely connected to this fine Egyptian cotton, which was used to make the best undergarments. So what Jesus is saying is that this guy lived in luxury from the top down and everything in between and even underneath, okay? This guy, even this guy's behind lived in luxury, okay? Um, it reminds me a bit of those, you know, bathroom tissue commercials, right, for toilet paper, right? Let's call our company Royale, you know, because you can feel like a king or a queen. You can feel like royalty when you use our product. It's toilet paper, Okay? But this guy lived in luxury. He for sure used Royale, okay? Um, He lived in luxury all of his life. This guy lived the dream, right? This guy was living the dream. It's interesting to note how little things have changed over the years because living the dream still means being able to have what you want, when you want, doesn't matter, right? This guy has it all. But then there's this contrast of the second character in the parable, this poor man covered in sores, Obviously has physical disailment too. He lays on a mat, right, um, at the gateway of this rich man's house. He has nothing, and he begs for just scraps that may come from this guy's table because you know he's got scraps, okay? But he doesn't get any of the rich man's excess. All he gets by the way of help or comfort, if you can call it that, is some dogs that come up to him and lick his open wounds, right? Oh, do you know where that tongue has been? Right Now, people say there's medicinal, uh, you know, the lick of a dog can heal, right? Whatever you believe, doesn't matter. Here's these dogs. This is all he gets. And ironically, these dogs were actually probably the rich man's dogs, his security dogs. They didn't have pets in the day. They were working animals, but they would have guarded his um, property. And as they came around to the gates, they would have, you know, seen and, and helped and licked this guy's wounds. And for all we can imagine, these dogs were probably the ones who actually got the scraps from the rich man's table. This guy is living a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. It's very clear these two live very different lives. One of them seems to have it all. The other seemingly has absolutely nothing, okay? Now, the interesting thing to note is that in this parable, the poor man is given a name, Lazarus. It's actually the only parable in the entire Bible where Jesus gives somebody a name. It's sometimes just the father, the elder son, a rich man, a poor man. But in this instance, the one instance in all of Scripture, Jesus gives this guy a name, and his name is Lazarus. Lazarus means the one who God helps. The meaning of the name Lazarus Lazarus is the one whom God helps. Helps, And yet by all appearances of the parable so far, it would appear as if it's the rich man that God is helping. He's got it all. And this guy that lays at the gate and the dogs lick his wounds, he's got nothing. God's not helping him. 
What's going on? Okay, let's continue. Okay? Um, we're picking it up at verse 22. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. Okay. Finally, the poor man died. What? Finally, right? It means this guy just didn't live like this for a day or two, a week or two, and then somebody did eventually help him. No, no, no. Finally, after probably years, maybe even decades of living this life, waiting for scraps that never came, this guy dies. And you would think with the name like the one whom God helps, well, he just has to hold on. He just has to, God will help him. God will help him. Finally, he dies, okay? Um, he gets carried up by the angels to this banquet, okay? Um, the imagery here would be of the heavenly banquet. Here's Abraham, and at his right-hand side is, is Lazarus, right? Probably reclining, right? Um, enjoying the fruits of heaven, Right? It's this, great, it's this great picture. And then we see the contrast of the rich man who dies and is buried, but he goes to what Jesus just simply refers to as the place of the dead, okay? Not heaven, okay? And there he's in torment and he sees Abraham and Lazarus at a distance at his side. My goodness, how the tables have, tur- have turned, right? Complete opposite, right? Here is the poor man, Lazarus, who's now still laying down, but he's reclining in luxury. He is, he's at the banquet table. He's got it all. And here's the rich man sitting at the pearly gates, at the gates of heaven, uh, on the outside looking in. The roles have been completely reversed. So we have to keep going, okay? Um, let's carry on in the reading. Um, we're at verse 25. No, sorry, 24 right? So out of this situation, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, There is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Okay, so the rich man, roles have reversed, on the outskirts, looking in. Um, He's the one that's begging for help now, and he calls out to Father Abraham, okay? Father Abraham, Abraham, father of the Jewish nation, first of the Hebrews, okay? Okay. And he asks, no, actually, he more almost gives an order, doesn't he? Hey, send Lazarus over here with some water to cool my tongue because I'm in anguish, right? Um, This reveals to us a couple of things, okay? First of all, um, the rich man knew exactly who Lazarus was, right? It's not like when he lived all his life on earth, he saw that man and just, you know, or didn't see him at all, or it was just a mistake, he knew exactly who he was. He knew his name. He saw Abraham. He saw Lazarus sitting beside him. He goes, hey, that's Lazarus. Send him down here to get me a little bit of water, right? Um, we see that this rich man's heart has not changed. 
he still has a sense of entitlement. You know, royalty talks to royalty. Notice he doesn't ask Lazarus to come and give him something. He says, hey, Abraham, you know, rich man to rich man, important guy to important guy, you've got Lazarus at your side. I see he must be your servant. Can you send your servant down to serve me some water? I'm a little parched, right? That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it reveals the heart of this rich man that still has not changed. To which Abraham's response is to say, son, remember, right? And as a parent, I say this how many times, right? Uh, How many times have I told you, right? Son, remember when I told you that if you did this, this might happen. How many times, right? They want, you try to warn them of something, you try to give them advice, but if they don't take it, if they miss their chance, they come to you later saying, mom, dad, have some pity, help, why did this happen, why me? And all you can say is, son, remember when I told you, right? And this is kind of what Abraham is saying. He says, you know, you had so many chances on earth to not just be right with other people, but you you had many chances to be right with God, to do what God wanted you to do, to live a God-centered life. You had all those chances, and, and time and time again, the message was there for you. Do the right thing. Follow God. Get your heart in the right place. But you had your chance. It's too late now. Things have changed, and they can't be changed back. There's this big chasm that separates us, and you can't cross over here, and even if we wanted, we can't cross over there. It's just too late. Okay, let's carry on. We're in verse 27. Okay, we're coming to the end here. Verse 27. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they have wrote. The rich man replied, no, no, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. There's some significant foreshadowing, isn't there? Okay, so this rich man he thinks of his family. It's too late for me, but it's not too late for my family. I got to get word out for them, okay? But amazingly enough, the same attitude prevails. Send Lazarus. Send him to my family. Send him as a messenger. If you won't send him as a waiter, send him as a messenger. Have him do the work to tell my brothers because my brothers need to hear this message. And of course, Abraham replies, you know what? Your brothers have the same opportunities you did. They've got the words of of Moses. They've got the prophets. They've got plenty of opportunity. And even if someone comes back from the dead, if their hearts are so hard, they're not going to make that choice. They have their chance. They have to decide for themselves before it's too late for them. Now, interestingly enough, I just want to point out here, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but Lazarus never says a single word in this entire parable. Not one single word. Think about this. Total silence. We don't see him being angry with God when he's suffering on earth, although he certainly had a lot to complain about, right? But we don't hear complaints, anger, frustration, bitterness from Lazarus. We don't hear anything. Amazingly enough, we also don't hear any gloating or vengeful um, words when he's at the banquet table and the rich man isn't right? Not even a peep of, ha, 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 rich man. Remember me? 
I remember you, and this water is so cool. Right? Hey, our hearts are like that, aren't they? But we don't hear anything of that from Lazarus, okay? He simply remains silent, and all the inference is that it's a quiet trust in God. Regardless of the circumstance of life, it's a quiet trust in God. He is the one whom God helps. Through the bad times lying on a mat begging, he trusted. In the best of times, at the right hand of Abraham, he quietly continues to trust with the heart of thanksgiving. You see, Jesus uses this parable to reveal to his listeners and to us that we can make a lot of assumptions about people based upon what their life looks like. But our assumptions can be way off base. Just because someone looks like they have it all doesn't mean that they do. And just because someone looks like they've been forgotten about doesn't mean that they are. In a general sense, this parable teaches us that it doesn't matter who you are or what you have in this life. Unless you're willing to humble yourself and acknowledge your need for God, God cannot help you as much as he would like. He cannot help you because you don't earn salvation. You don't inherit it like some family heirloom. Salvation is a gift from God that you receive when you humble yourself, something this rich man never did, and trust in God, something the poor man always did with a genuine and repentant heart. You see, heaven doesn't grade on a scale of merit. It gives on God's gracious heart. Now, depending on your life circumstance, we make a lot of wrongful assumptions about others, about ourselves, about life in general, and some of these assumptions can lead us way off track, especially when it comes to living by faith. So as we wrap up, I want to just highlight five truths that I pulled out of this parable that I think we can all use to help battle the temptation to believe in some assumptions that lead us astray. Okay, so five uh, little truths from the parable um, that we can pull from it, and they can help us when it comes to battling our, um, sometimes our tendency to believe in an assumption that's going to lead us off track. Okay, first is this. Your current situation does not define your spiritual worth. Whether your current situation is the best you could imagine it to be or whether your current life situation is the worst you could imagine it to be. Poor Lazarus laid on his mat. He's covered in sores. He spent his days, all his days, begging, just trying to make it through each day. And yet in the parable, we see that when he dies, he's taken up into heaven. Now, Lazarus has been silent. A lot of what I've said we maybe learn about Lazarus is just through inference, okay? But, but that's the thing about a parable. When, you, when, when the original listeners would have listened in, I think they would have made some of these assumptions that I'm drawing today as well. You see, because we know that Lazarus didn't get to heaven just because he was poor and had a hard life. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Oh, poor you. You had a rough time. Mm, you get to come to heaven. This is not the message ever. So this isn't the message of the parable. We have to assume that this Lazarus, this poor man, is in heaven because he had a right heart before God. He had a trusting heart, a faith-filled heart. That's the only way you get in, by God's grace, through faith. So we have to believe that that's why he is there, right? Lazarus believed and trusted in God, but it did not translate into a life of luxury for him. You know what? It seldom does. 
Who knows why things seemingly come so easy for some people? I have two older sisters. My oldest sister is the one through the years we have always said, you know, we always get, it doesn't even surprise us anymore. Oh, what? She won another draw? Oh, good for her. Oh, she found 50 bucks on the street? Good for her, right? Things just kind of seem to happen for her. They just fall into place. And this, we, we see this all the time in our lives when we, when we look at other people, right? And, and we have people, I'm sure you're thinking of them in your life, right? Maybe that person you always see on Facebook and you're like, they're in Disneyland again? How many times do they go? Do they ever work? How much money do they have? They've got it all. And I've got nothing. Okay? Just because it appears as though someone has it all doesn't mean that they do. And this morning, I cannot explain why prosperity seems to fall on some people while others can work and work and work and be so faithful, but still end up with almost nothing or nothing at all like this poor man. I have no answers for that. It's the mystery of, mystery of heaven, okay? But I can tell you this, your current life situation or circumstance does not define your spiritual worth. Lazarus in this parable is often referred to by New Testament scholars um, as the New Testament Job, right? A man whose life was filled with great suffering and pain. It's in the form of a parable, but you think about it in in those terms, right? With no real explanation. Why did he have to suffer so much? We don't know why. We don't know why, but we do know that it did not define his spiritual worth because when his time came, he went to glory. He went to glory. Keep on quietly trusting in God. Place your trust in him and just keep going, okay? That's what we're called to do by faith. Your current situation does not define your spiritual worth, okay? Number two, we are responsible for what we have and what we don't have, okay? Part of this parable certainly speaks to accountability, right? The rich man had a lot, a lot of chances to help himself and a lot of chances to help others, But by all we hear from, from Jesus, this man took neither opportunity to help himself um, when it came to the things that really mattered or to help other people, okay? Um, So there's accountability here. This man was not generous. He was not compassionate. He was not kind. Scholars will point out in this parable that Jesus says that he lived every day in luxury, and some of them believe that to indicate that that means he never even observed the Sabbath, right? He never took a day to just stop and thank God, and humble himself, and to give back, and to do what was right. We're responsible for what we have, not just to ourselves, but to others as well. You know, as a church, we're, we're collecting soap for the arcade mission, right? A seemingly small thing, a maybe insignificant thing, but a good thing done in the name of Jesus Christ that is really going to make a difference to people in our city. Uh, a few uh, weeks ago, we collected um, underwear and socks and, and undergarments, right, for Mission Services of London. We got the best Egyptian cotton, and we sent them Royale paper. Now, right? Maybe not the highest quality stuff, but new stuff, clean stuff, good stuff that's going to make a difference and impact their lives because it comes in the name of Jesus. It comes with love. It comes with the heart that accepts the responsibility to do the right thing and to follow God, right? We can't help everyone who has a need, but we can certainly help someone in need. We're responsible for what we've been given. But I also want to point out this morning what I believe is the second part of this. We're also responsible for what we don't have. 
I don't think we think about this as much, right? The truth is someone who does not have can feel just as entitled as someone who does, okay? It's about the heart. It's not about what they have or don't have, really, okay? Well, you've got two cars. Well, I don't have any, so give me one of your cars. That doesn't make sense, right? Greed and entitlement aren't just the problems of the rich, okay? You can be poor and greedy at the same time because it's a matter of the heart, not a matter of possession. It isn't about what you have, and it's not about what you don't have. It's about your heart's attitude. It was Chuck, uh, Charles Swindoll, sorry, Charles, the official Charles, who said, um, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you choose to respond to it. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you choose to respond to it. You see, we're responsible with what we have, but we're also responsible in the times where we don't have. We're still responsible in those times to have a heart of faith, to have a heart of trust, a heart of generosity, even in those times. Traditional wedding vows reflect this truth, right? When you say for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, it means when things are bad, I'm going to love you and we're going to stick together. When things are good, I'm going to trust you and love you and we're going to stick together. It's this type of response that we need to have to God in all times of life by faith. In the good times, also in the bad. Okay, third, God sees and knows your suffering. Okay, suffering is hard. And you know what? Suffering can be lonely. And you can't compare in suffering, okay? You can't be, oh, this person has it worse than me, or this person, they don't know suffering. They're whining and crying about this little thing. Suffering is suffering. If you are suffering in your soul, in your spirit, in your body, in your mind, you are suffering. And suffering is always hard. Suffering is always lonely. When life is at its hardest, when suffering is at its greatest, we can sometimes assume that God does not see us anymore or God does not care about us anymore. But this is not true. God is a God who understands suffering. When Jesus died on the cross, do you remember when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And maybe we've heard that enough times, but think about this, that Jesus, Son of God, part of the Holy Trinity, took on suffering, suffering to the extent where he felt abandoned by his own triune self. And it's not just the physical pain of the cross. Of course, that's horrible. That's horrific. But it was the burden and the weight of our sin on his shoulders. And it led Jesus to feel forsaken by God. We serve a God who knows suffering and understands suffering, and not one single piece of suffering goes by that he does not hold dear, that he has not taken himself to the cross first. He knows and sees your suffering. You know, you can ask, why didn't God ever help this guy, Lazarus, this poor guy? Man, the one whom God helps? No, God didn't help him. In our suffering, we can assume that God is silent, but he's not. God sees and he knows our suffering. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Faith says, through it all, 
even when it goes when I don't expect, even when it goes absolute worst, I trust and believe in a God who sees and knows my suffering and will be with me and see me through my suffering. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That is a promise, not just um, a hopeful um, assumption. It's a promise. God sees and knows your suffering. Okay, fourthly, not all things are made right this side of heaven, okay? Um, This parable takes place in two locations. One, we see the earthly side, rich man's rich, poor man's poor. We see the heavenly side, uh, poor man is rich, rich man is poor. Um, Total flip-flop, okay? The reality is, is it all flips, this whole parable flips on, on that one word, finally. Finally, death comes to both of them. Lazarus is taken to Abraham's side. The rich man goes to the place of the dead. Not all things are made right this side of heaven. Can you imagine how many days Lazarus would have longed for that day to come? Where his suffering would be over, where his torment would be finally finished, where he'd be able to live a life physically, emotionally, and spiritually the way that God intended him to. And he did his best on earth with what he had, but that time did not come until finally he was taken up to heaven. The truth is, is that all, not all things are made right this side of heaven, and we can't assume that they will be, okay? Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter in the Bible. Um, a number of... Uh, People are listed in that chapter, people who faced many hardships and trials and tribulations on earth. Um, They trusted in the kingdom of heaven, but they did not see the promises of God fulfilled on earth. Um, Each of them died. They came to that point, finally, but they did come to that point. They lived by faith. See, that's the point. As Christians, we understand this world is broken, but we also understand that God in Jesus is in the process of making all things right. It was completed, it was finished at the cross, and one day our king will return again, and we will know fully, as we are fully known, things will be made right absolutely one day, finally one day, whether it comes by our own death or by the return of our Savior. Until then, we're called to live by faith. We're told to hold on, stay true to faith, hold on to your hope regardless of the situation, knowing that things aren't always the way that they should be, but one day they will be. We can hold on to that. Which leads me to the last point here. Now is never too late, right? We've been talking about being too late on life's most major decision. In the parable, the rich man ends up in the place of the dead, calling out to Abraham and Lazarus for help, but the answer to him is, I'm so sorry. It's too late. You had your chance to make things right, but you did not take them, and as much as you would want things to be different, for as much as I would want things to be different, they cannot be. You have gone past your point of no return, and it's too late. Now, truth is, this is a sobering yet powerful truth of the Bible, okay? It reminds us that we all have a choice to make. There does come a time for each and every one of us, a point of no return where we no longer will have the choice. We will only be faced with the consequence. 
But now is never that time. Now is never that time. As long as you have one last breath in your lungs, you have the chance to choose life. The life of faith, the life of trust in the saving grace of God. There's no better example of this, again, than uh, on the cross, that day that our Savior died. He died with two thieves on either side of him, the scriptures tell us. The one thief, hard heart, never repented, never was forgiven, never saw glory. But the other, in his last moments, moments from death, moments, moments from death, acknowledged the greatness of God placed his faith and his hope and his trust in the Savior to his side and said, would you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? Because it's coming. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You see, now is never too late. Heaven does never grades on merit. Heaven gives on the gracious heart of God, but we've got a choice to make. And now is never too late. Now is never too late to trust in the unstoppable grace of God. Now is not too late to rely on the relentless and fierce love of God that pursues you and gives you time and time again opportunity and opportunity and chance and chance to respond by faith. Now is never too late to place your trust and to find your hope in the one place you can truly have it. In Christ alone. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you this morning for this reminder that this world does not operate the way that it should. And I'm thankful for that because there's so many things that happen in this life that can devastate me, can discourage me, can pull me down can make me feel hopeless. This world is not operating as it should be. But it doesn't mean your promises won't come true. It doesn't mean I can't have hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ because he's the one who has made all things new. He's making me new. He's making the world new. And one day, finally, everything will be as it should be. And I thank you that in Jesus' name we can have that faith and that trust. And we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter what our situation in life is, we are all like Lazarus. We can be the one whom God helps. You are always willing, you are always able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So we come to you in faith. We come to you asking that you would take these dry bones and breathe into them once again the life that comes through Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Now, as the worship team comes back up, um, I just want to remind you, we have our prayer room. If you feel led to respond in some way to today's message, to the, the songs that we've sung, the parable that we've looked at, if you want a quiet place to pray by yourself or to have someone pray with you, or you want to ask some questions about what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ, um, now is never too late to come to God. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. Now is never too late to get right with God. And when you get right with God, you open your life up to endless possibility. More than all you could ever ask, 
more than all you could ever seek, more than all of your greatest hopes and your dreams, God has immeasurably more for you in a life of faith than you could ever imagine. Have a blessed week with Jesus.